what is the most important thing to you in your life? And I said, love and freedom. And he said, you know what? I think you won't have problem with love. But he said, but freedom, do you have that at home in your country? I said, no. He said, well, then you answered yourself. Yes, I'm a Pole of Nigerian descent. I will not forget Poland. How can I? Poland, very strange place. <laughs> I've often thought of it as the undiscovered country. Poland may be difficult, but it is never uninteresting. Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland? Sausages. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're gonna try to show you. I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 44th episode of Polcast. Poles are very good friends, but are they normal friends? Well, I can't say they're abnormal, but they're not like a normal friend. A normal friend calls you a friend after knowing you for a few weeks and getting a beer twice. A Polish friend will only call you his friend after knowing you for years and after you've helped him move out of his apartment and attended his grandmother's funeral. A normal friend wants to grab a drink and a snack in a bar. A Polish friend tells you he prefers to stay at home and invites you over. You come planning to order a pizza, but you find beers in the fridge and a table full of snacks and a meal ready for you. A normal friend comes for a visit to your house and waits for you to offer him tea or coffee. When a Polish friend comes over, he walks right through the door and asks, What do you have to eat? Your normal friend tells you your new haircut looks good on you, even if it doesn't. Your Polish friend goes, Wow, you look like you were run over by a lawnmower. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> a normal friend says, Please. A Polish friend says, pass me the salt, shut the door, turn off the TV. <laughs> a normal friend asks, how are you? Answers, fine, thank you. And you? Whereas a Polish friend starts making a list of everything that goes wrong for them that day. It's so cold, I lost my gloves, my hands are numb from the cold, and I couldn't find my bus ticket in my backpack, and I got a fine. A normal friend brings a couple of beers to a house party. A Polish friend brings a bottle of vodka and insists you take it in shots. A normal friend emails you and Facebooks you regularly if you're living away. A Polish friend won't email you for eight months. But next time you see each other, you will pick up right where you left off. A normal friend, when hearing a compliment like, that's a great dress you're wearing, will say thank you. A Polish friend will answer, Oh, it's so old, it must be at least six years old. A normal friend will have many other friends. A Polish friend knows and gets along with many people, but only has two or three real friends. So in Polish, there are two equally common words, przyjaciel, your close friend, and znajomy, your not-so-close friend, your acquaintance. Isn't that true? 
I'm afraid it is. But I still like my Polish friend. Marek Probosz is one of just a handful of Poles who made it in Hollywood, where he came for a short visit in 1987 as a big Eastern European star, film, television and stage actor in his native Poland with more than 50 starring roles and numerous awards. He was known across Eastern Europe as the De Niro of Poland. Well, when you come to the center of the film universe and decide to stay, you start from zero. Marek did and succeeded again, having worked with the best and the biggest Hollywood names. Marek Probosz is a truly Renaissance man. Actor, screenwriter, artist, poet, director, and a charismatic teacher, an adjunct associate professor of theater and film acting at the prestigious UCLA. He visited Toronto last month as the guest star of the Summer Serenade, a fundraising event of our own Toronto theatre run by Maria Novotarska and Agata Pilitowska, which we featured on Polcast. We met and talked and talked and talked. Marek Probosz is a fascinating interlocutor, and his life is like a movie itself. Your life has two parts. It was an extremely successful life in Poland, and then you suddenly came to the States, decided to stay. I mean, your life completely changed. You had to start from scratch. Hero from zero. That's right. Hero from zero. I like that a lot. (laughs) So, how did that hero start from zero? It was tough. It's always tough for people who were not born here, who don't speak the language, don't understand the culture. It might be easier for somebody else, like the musician, like the painter, architect, opera singer. But uh, for an actor, it's, it's extremely tough. You always have an accent. I came here when I was 28 years old, which means you cannot lose that, an accent. I was only once auditioning for the lead part in the American film, and the director was Chinese. <laughs> that explains <laughs> <Yes>. everything, right? <laughs> so I had to reinvent myself. The good thing was, I was invited here by American Cinematheque to United States. I was shooting a film in Hamburg with Horst Buchholz. In Hamburg, I was introduced uh, on location to the director of American Cinematheque, Gary Essert, who came to me and said, Hey, I, I, I know your movies. Um, one of my films, Czech film, Czechoslovakian film then, uh, won one of the awards at the Cannes Film Festival, another one won San Sebastian and Carlo Vivari. He knew a lot of cinema, including the cinema from Europe, so he invited me to Hollywood for three weeks. He paid for everything, American Cinematheque did. And this is 1987. <clears throat> so I had plans, I was booked for three years in advance in Poland, Czechoslovakia, Germany, East Germany at that time. Um, but of course that was absolutely impossible task to go, you know, it would be easier to go to the moon or to go to the Mars today than it was then to go to United States, not talking about Hollywood on top of it. Mm -hmm. So three times uh, American consulate in Hamburg refused to give me visa. Mm. They didn't want to let me go because they said, I'll never come back. They said, you are too young, too handsome, must be talented because they pay for everything, invite you. So you'll never come back. We can't do that. So finally, Gary Essert called the council. I met with the council and he said, if you are such a good actor, you can convince me that you will come back 
Then I lick that big visa because visas in the old days were as big as postcards and you needed a lot of saliva to glue them there to your passport. So he said, I'm going to do it myself. I lose my gold Parker to sign it, but you have to convince me that you'll come back. So I don't know exactly what I told him, but finally I saw his big tongue <laughs> licking that visa and he wrote on it with the gold Parker only three weeks in Hollywood. Well, when I came, it was fantastic. It was very sunny. It was, uh, I lived in the Roosevelt Hotel, the, the place where they were giving first Academy Awards um, across from Chinese theater on the, the Boulevard of the Stars. And uh, I, I had meetings with celebrities, actors, directors, producers, visited studios. I had translator. My English was very bad. So three weeks were great. But then I had to come back, right? And in the meantime, did you want to come back at that? Point? I I wasn't sure I'm going to stay at that point. Stay in the states. Yes. Yeah. Because I was booked. I had my uh, oh, had one up show. Yeah, yeah. I, I was mm -hmm. supposed to direct opera, uh, Metamorphosis by by Joseph Kafka and Brno, because I directed um, Salome by Oscar Wilde, my own adaptation, which was voted the best play of a year. So I got new offers. I was supposed to play Mozart in the movie about Mozart and Casanova, German Czechoslovakian co-production, uh, play Wojciech, Kordian, uh, many other projects I was involved in, including the one actor show that I was supposed to have a tour through Eastern Europe. It was called The Romance of a Trumpet with Tomasz Stanko making music to it. And I was, wow. I was playing it uh, as an actor. So there were plans, of course. Um, so it wasn't easy to say, oh, I'm staying right away. I met a friend of mine who defected earlier and he came to visit me in a hotel and he said, Marek, what do you want to accomplish more in Poland and the country you are in? You're already a star. You are playing only lead parts for the last three years. As a matter of fact, there was a stand, the, the news stand on Hollywood Boulevard and there was a film magazine with me on the cover of it. You know, he said, in Hollywood, then we are talking 87. So he said, what else, what else do you want to do? How, how are you going to grow there? You'll grow, you know, as a star, uh, you'll have more goods and recognition. So what? Nobody's going to know you here. This is the pinnacle. This is a pantheon for actor or for an artist. Why don't you try here? And that was very tempting. I'm an ambitious uh, Highlander from Polish mountains, you know, so when you tell me something... Gural. Gural. If you tell me something is impossible, hey, wait a minute, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll see. So I went to UCLA, to the University of California, to, to take the speedy uh, English course. And at a certain uh, point, I went to the professor and I said, would you be so kind and tell me, what would you, as an American, do? I told him about this being in two different worlds. And he said, what is the most important thing to you in your life? And I said, love and freedom. And he said, you know what? I think you won't have problem with love. You're young, handsome, talented. You, you, you'll get love. But he said, but freedom, do you have that at home in your country? I said, no. He said, well, then you answered yourself. I went home and I turned on television. I saw striking solidarity workers going against the ZOMO, the Polish secret police, uh, special forces with the shields and clubs and helmets started to beat them. They started to kick them. It was on television news in Hollywood. But that was enough for me 
to remind myself about 1980 or 1984 or many other moments that you try to forget about, but it comes back to you especially strongly when you're outside from it, when you gain a distance, when you live in a free country, right? So I said, no, I'm not going back no matter what it's going to cost. And that was the hero from zero. When did you first start <clears throat> feeling comfortable? How okay. long did it take? Three years, I would say. Mm -hmm. Because the first year and a half, of course, you, you still um, papers and everything, driver's license mm -hmm. that you have to take care of to, to be legal there, to be able to work there, etc., etc. That was tough because I was I came from the world where after the show I had fans, but I had money, I was famous, I had everything. And here wow. I am nobody. Is that a humiliating or a... Very humbling a experience. Humbling. Very humbling experience. Yeah, but you didn't feel humiliated. No, 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 but very humbling. I felt like a snake who just lost his skin and needs to start anew. It's really about making it on your own in the foreign land, going on the hero's journey, being a Hercules with 12 tasks that you have to go through. You may die, but hey, if you are a hero, you have to go on the hero's journey. And that's exactly a hero from zero. What helped you? And I mean both externally mm -hmm. and internally. Definitely um, the environment in which I grew. My grandfather was a self-taught writer who in 1938, Jerzy Probosz, in 1938 won uh, from Academy of Polish Literature in Warsaw. Uh, poet's Laurel uh, Award as, as the most talented writer. He finished four classes. He was self-taught writer. He wrote four theater plays, a lot of prose, po uh, poems, uh, printed in newspapers, etc., etc. In 1939, when Germans attacked Poland, he was one of the first to be arrested. He was taken away from nine children. My father was 10 years old to the uh, first prison and concentration camp in Germany, Dachau where he was murdered in 1942. Growing with that in my mind, reading his poetry, having that in me, and um, I never met my grandfather, of course, but on the mystical, emotional level, I'm very close with him. And uh, last year I directed actually his play with Highlanders. It's going to premiere this year. I did it with Amateurs Highlanders because it's written in, the, in their language, so you cannot work with professionals. Fantastic show uh, we put together and, mm -hmm. and uh, this year I'll go in the autumn for the opening. So that connection with your grandfather and the values that he yes. gave to you, what else? And my, my parents, my parents. Uh, my father was an amazing, strong, men of, of valor and, and ideals, a uh, big patriot, a strong man, and the only man from those nine kids who went to study in Krakow and became an engineer. Also sport helped me a lot. I was yeah, four times a champion cycling. as a cyclist, and that helped me too, that uh, my famous Polish uh, cyclist, Józef Gawliczek, he was my coach, and he would always say, you cannot say, I give up, until you fell off the bike. There's no excuse. So once you learn all of that, physically, mentally, spiritually, you're strong, you can take it. America is not for everyone. I think that immigration uh, is not for everyone, but uh, everybody should try and, and, and test their relentlessness. Are there moments when you regret? There are moments I wouldn't be human. Jesus had it on the cross. We have moments, right, of, of being um, more human than we maybe are. 
vulnerable and that's we cry sometimes no regrets we live only once and it's not about wspomnienia it's about marzenia right Again, it's I say, not about memories but it's about dreams as long as you are dreaming and you are realizing your passions it doesn't matter if people know about it or they don't know about it you are not doing it necessarily for the audience you have to say it mm. you write from your heart you create from your heart as long as that heartbeat is is yours and you must do it one day hundred years from now millennium from now somebody may discover it and it, it it can make him cry or or understand or be enlightened whatever if you are on the journey if you are curious if you are creative you succeeded and that's what i'm doing mm -hmm. i'm happy with the life i live with what i'm doing i have one regret that there's no more time in 24 hours this was part one of our interview. Next week, Marek Probosz will talk about his career in Poland, his mentors, his passion for teaching, his family, and of course, Hollywood. What it is like to live and work in this fascinating place. To learn more about Marek Probosz, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. At the recent Polish day in Mississauga, a city next door to Toronto inhabited by a large Polish community, I met an interesting bicultural family and had a chance to talk about their Polish-Indian life. Monica, you live in Canada and you're married to a guy from India yes. who lived close to Bombay. Yes. Right. How did you guys meet? Uh, at the trade show in New Delhi. How did you happen to be at the trade show in New Delhi? It, that was my profession, trade show organization. Okay. And what happened then when you fell in love? Um, first, we were writing and calling each other mm -hmm. for four years. Right. And in the meantime... you lived in Poland. In yes, yes, and he lived in India. Uh -huh. And everything seemed very unreal because we were thousands of kilometers apart. But he, he was insisting and he I thought he would forgot after one month so I was not scared to give my phone number <laughs> at all because we are yeah, a thousand, apart, thousand kilometers right right but he he was he he was very persistent and then when he applied for for his visa to Canada he got accepted in 2001 then he came to Poland and after one year I came here so you have been living in Canada as a couple for how long now uh, 15 years it's gonna be right. second of July and there are two kids yes uh, and your name is again Renel Renel and there's Oscar come here Oscar how old Hi. are you guys I'm nine and I'm You're in grade nine? four because I'm born in December that's why I'm nine and I'm in grade four wow that's pretty good and you I am 11 turning 12 in right. 12 days I, I want to know how it is to live in the family where you have two completely different languages two completely different foods completely different cultures how is it um it's it's confusing oh, hey, i like that why is that confusing oscar what's confusing because you like you, you indian language is almost non-understandable we don't know india okay so they know how to count to 12 oh that's good can you count to 12 Akrabara. 
Okay, and what language was that? Marathi. Marathi, okay. So are you planning to learn that language or not? No. No. English is enough. Yeah. And in terms French and Polish. And French and Polish. Okay, but your dad comes with you to Poland, right? No. No? No. Usually he, he comes every three years, but usually all three of us go for vacation. Do you like going to Poland? Tak. Tak? What do you like about Poland? I like meeting my grandparents and oh, meeting my friends. We go since 10 years every for the whole vacation, two right. months. There is a lot of exchange of cultures in your home, right? How about Christmas? You celebrate Christmas? Yes, we do. Okay, do you, do you celebrate Diwali? Um, with friends. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. Friends. Yeah. Okay, with, with friends. friends. Yes. Okay, and my question is, did, did you manage to have, because you say you have both... Indian and Polish friends, right? right? Did you manage to get those people together so that they get to know about each other's cultures? Yes, in our house we got we got these uh, celebrations, uh-huh. and then we bring them together. So there, when there is love, there is no difference in cultures. I guess so. <laughs> episode features Renaissance people. Here is another one. We first met many years ago when he visited Toronto. Then I interviewed him in Polish for our newspaper Gazeta. I have been following his life and career with great interest. John Godson was the first black man in Polish parliament. He moved from Nigeria to Poland in 1993 and in 2001 received Polish citizenship. A minister, missionary, academic, politician, actor, teacher, businessman, he was first a city councillor in Łódź and then became a member of parliament. John Gutson is a highly educated man with a number of degrees, three master's degrees and two doctorates from Nigeria, the US and Poland. In 2015, the New African magazine named him as being amongst 100 of the most influential people in Africa. John, the distance between Toronto and where you are in Nigeria, I just checked, is over 9,000 kilometers, which is a huge distance. The connection is a little sketchy. It might be a little difficult, but we're trying and let's try to do this. You're a very, very, very special person because you were born in Nigeria and you were the first member of Polish parliament, a person of color, a black man who was elected as, uh, well, actually, previously, you were also in the local government of Łódź. So that's an amazing yes, thing. Consider- I was a councillor. You were a councillor in Łódź, exactly. So that's quite an amazing thing. But I want to start going back to when you came to Poland. You came to Poland in 1993. Why? It's actually a very long story, a very uh, long story with some... Uh, you know, mystic, I would say, aspects of it. It all started in 1988 when I was a student in the university and um, a Christian student. I got in touch with a Romanian pastor, a missionary from Romania, and Richard Wombrand was his name. He was living in the U.S. And he was um, sending uh, this um, uh, news magazine called The Voice of Christian Matters. And in one of those magazines, there was this story of a young man called Ivan from uh, the Soviet Union who was killed by the KGB because of his faith, and he was 19. 
for me that was very touching i remember i started crying and i said god i want to replace ivan so that was how it all started and uh, after graduation i applied to a number of christian organizations that i wanted to serve as a missionary and uh, one of them accepted me and gave me three countries to choose from russia poland and hungary I thought about Russia because of Ivan, but as I thought about this, I received a letter from Poland from another missionary uh, who is not a Pole. He's a Scottish, Jamie Grant, and he was the one that invited me to Poland. So I took that as a you know, divine guidance. Politics was not in my mind. And what was in my mind was a social work, uh, mentoring young people. Um, and I also was lecturing them as a lecturer in the Technical University of Szczecin. So this is 1993. And then in 2001, yes, you became yes. a Polish citizen. How fast did you learn the language? Actually, after six months, I could speak in Polish. I could preach in Polish. Um, but I would say that it is a, a lifelong procedure. Despite the fact that I had stayed 24 years in Poland, I'm still learning. But you got incredible awards. You got Polish Silver Lips Awards for the best political <laughs> speeches twice. So, <laughs> so obviously well, your Polish um, must be amazing. It is. I heard you speak uh, Polish. That's the advantage of being a public speaker and a preacher. <laughs> Let's go back to your life. So then, in some ways, you moved from that kind of work to politics. What made you do that? Well, the thing is, I've done a lot of things in my life. I, I consider myself to be interdisciplinary. The missions work I was doing was part of what I was doing. I was lecturing in the university. Um, I was an actor at the Polish Contemporary Theatre in Szczecin. I was a um, business person, had my language school, and, and several other things. Like I said, I wasn't interested in politics. Um, I was more a social activist, you would say, um, someone, a charity worker, uh, because um, through my language school, we gave out scholarships, we helped um, indigent students, we helped poor families, uh, motherless babies, and so on. And it was when people who were around us saw um, this, my social action, that they began to encourage me that um, I should go and represent them. And so in 2005, I ran for the district council election in Wuj. And out of 107 candidates in my district, I got the highest number of votes. So for me, that was very encouraging. And in 2010, I became member of the Polish parliament and I was re-elected in 2011. On the, on the one hand here that Polish people are, well, put it, put it bluntly, quite racist, maybe because it's a very homogeneous uh, country. I'm not saying that in any judgmental way. I'm only saying that because they don't know many people from various diverse communities, they, they're not that comfortable with the notion of, uh, I don't know, people of, a, of color representing them. Have you ever come across any moments when you did not feel good um, in Poland? Yeah, there were moments like that, but let me just uh, make a correction and a distinction. Um, I believe that Polish people are not racist. Polish people are one of the most hospitable people I've ever met. And I've been to about 50 countries in five continents. 
Um, but like in every country, there is always this marginal group that uh, are against everything and against everyone. Um, people that would, you know, persecute you because you have a red color of hair or you are fat or you are, you know, whatever. But I want to make a distinction between racism and what I call low intercultural competence. And what I think um, we have in Poland is low intercultural competence. And that is as a result of what you said, homogeneous nature of Poland, communism that didn't allow people to mix with the rest of the world, which has been changing. After the fall of communism, people have opportunity to travel around the world. People have opportunity to see uh, films from around the world. You were a foreigner. In Poland, there is this notion of foreigner, which means you came from another country. doesn't matter whether you're a person of color or not, but you were not born in Poland. You did not have the Polish roots. Did anybody ever signal to you that they don't think you have the right to represent them as a person who doesn't have all these Polish roots? In the parliament or outside of the parliament? Well, wherever, both in parliament and outside parliament. No, in the parliament, no. In the parliament, no one ever said that. But outside the parliament, yes, there are people like that who, even in comments on various articles, who think a foreigner should not have any say in the issues of policy uh, concerning the country he is uh, living in. Um, yeah, there are people who, who ex have expressed in my presence um, that opinion. Now, as a foreigner, what do you think? Like, it sometimes seems to me that people who are outsiders have a better insight because they see things in a broader way and they can contribute a lot. What have you contributed to Polish society, Polish politics, in your opinion? It's very difficult for me to evaluate myself, but I think that I have tried to treat politics as um, service, to be open to the electorate, to bingo with them, to listen to them, to help them solve their problem. And in fact, this is one of the most important goals I had as a politician, to serve, to um, help people. I think also my presence in some ways may have helped uh, widen the horizon uh, of uh, many people, many MPs, and so on. And for some people who had uh, a cognitive dissonance when they confront their stereotype of a black uh, who is uh, maybe lazy or who is not punctual or who is not intelligent and so on, you know, all those um, stereotypes. And then they meet someone who is very disciplined, very hardworking, um, I wouldn't say intelligent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With so many, with so many academic degrees, you're not. Ha, you know, ha, ha. Yeah, very, ed very educated, and so on. So for some people, that's a kind of um, confrontation with the stereotypes they have, and I think it is very helpful because then um, they have to revisit their opinions and revise um, their opinions about, you know, Africa and Africans. You married a Polish woman whom I met, a wonderful person, and you have four kids. Both of your daughters are married to Polish men, is that right? Yes, uh, my first daughter got married three years ago. My second daughter is getting married in oh. two months' time to a Pole. How Polish do you feel? Um, wow, um, actually I am at a, a time in my life 
when I'm doing a lot of uh, analysis, going through midlife crisis? <laughs> it's a difficult question, but I would say that I identify a lot with Poland. So when somebody asks you, you say that you're a Pole of Nigerian descent or you're a Nigerian? Yes. Yes, yes I'm a Pole of Nigerian descent. Things have changed. And John, you're no longer in politics. And we are actually, as I said, 9,000 kilometers apart because you're in Nigeria. You moved to Nigeria. And you're doing something completely different, which is your Pilgrim's Ranch. Can you talk a little bit about this project? Pilgrim's Ranch is um, an agricultural, agro-tourism project um, in Nigeria. The ranch has about 608 hectares. We are involved in livestock production, you know, pigs, goats, cattle, um, sheep, uh, poultry, and so on. And crop production, crops like mango, coconut, um, avocado is in the plant, and so on. Food processing, um, agro-tourism, um, safari kind of, and then other allied industry like um, fertilizer production and so on. It is not something completely new uh, because my father is an agriculturist. He was a, a teacher in the secondary school. He taught agriculture. I studied agriculture in my first degree. I'm an agronomist. Um, before I came to Poland, I worked as a research um, supervisor in an agricultural research institute. So this is something that has been very um, close to my heart. Even while in Poland and in politics, I had a, a one-hectare orchard, 400 uh, fruit trees. Um, so I've always been involved in agriculture one way or the other. But does that mean you're going to be staying in Nigeria and not living in Poland anymore? My goal or the plan is uh, I want to use the next five, uh, seven years to establish the ranch, choose a team of competent and trustworthy managers, and they will be running it. Um, I plan to spend part of my time in Poland, part of my time in Nigeria. And uh, sincerely speaking, I do hope that I would spend uh, much of my time traveling around the world. Your wife is in Poland and your children are in Poland. When are they going to visit for the first time or is it going to be the first time? My wife has already visited a few times. My two daughters have visited, but my sons haven't been to Nigeria. I was planning for that to happen this year, but we are very tight uh, financially because of all the expenditures and expenses and also the wedding. You know, in, ah. in Poland, it is the bride, bride's family that <laughs> sponsors the <laughs> reception and so on. And when I tell them here that that is the case, they laugh because here it is the bridegroom that, you know, bears much of the cost. So um, we're planning that uh, most probably to be next year when they will all come to visit. Great. But then remember, you have two sons. So even if it was the other way around, like in Nigeria, you would still have to pay for two more weddings later. <laughs> and I hope they will. I hope well, at least one of them will marry a Nigerian. If they do that, then that means it's really unjust. Because in Poland, I'm paying for my daughters. And in Nigeria, I'll be paying for my sons. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Have, my last question to you is about the Polish-African or Polish-Nigerian relations. Have you managed to establish any of that when you were still in politics? Yes, we have um, 
done a lot in the area of Polish-Africa relations. Um, when we look at uh, the balance of trade between Africa and Poland in the last couple of years, in some cases it has grown uh, you know, more than 90%. Um, in the case of Nigeria, about 45%. So a lot has happened in that area. Due to our effort, for the first time, the Polish Prime Minister, Mr. Donald Tusk, visited Nigeria. And your home too. Yes, he also visited my home. That was in 2012. It was actually in that meeting in 2012 that I um, encouraged him, you know, to visit Nigeria. A lot has happened and we can see um, also from the business side, a lot of interest between um, Poles wanting to do some business in Nigeria, in Africa, and um, Nigerians who want to do business business in Poland. Do, do people in Nigeria know anything about Poland? Yes, they do. We've had a few forums here. Of course, they know about uh, people like Pope John Paul II, they know Lech Wałęsa. Um, and then recently also, um, they know that one of their sons was the first black member of the Polish um, parliament. But they are more interested now in what kind of business they can do in, in Poland, with Poland. How did your community react to your political career, to your uh, involvement in Poland, to your living in Poland, to marrying a Pole, to being part Polish? First of all, my mom was cautious. She thought I was getting married uh, too early. My dad was also against, at first, my getting involved in politics. But I think with time, you know, things change. So generally, the, the reception has been that of pride, gratitude, actually appreciating that, you know, that could happen. So it's been very positive. When you came back now to your um, country, what were the things surprising or something that you got, you know, that you thought you knew, but it was different? Everything is different. The chaos, the noise. It's been this my seventh, I think, yeah, seventh month. Sometimes I begin to also think, uh, what on earth am I doing? <laughs> uh, what do you miss about Poland, John? I think I miss the weather. Yes. <laughs> I like uh, the milder weather, the greenery, of course, my family, and some Polish food, of course. Like what? Um, ah, bigos. Well, I want to f thank you very much, and I want to congratulate you on your amazing honor that you received, um, I think, a few days ago. What is it exactly? <laughs> I've just been informed of the decision. The uh, coronation will be taking place in um, uh, August. It's a chieftaincy title, the equivalent of uh, being called a Tsar in Poland, that will look more like, you know, receiving a, a merit award. In Nigeria, it's called a chieftaincy title. Um, in Polish uh, language, that will be uh, like Tito Szlachetski. So before my name now, it will be High Chief Honorable John Godson. Well, hi, Honorable Chief Godson. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. And, and it's great pleasure talking to you again. And we are Thank you. keeping our fingers crossed for all the pigs and everything that you do in Nigeria. But do not Thank forget you. Poland and remember that Poland definitely needs you. I will not forget Poland. How can I? I've spent more than half of my life in Poland, so it's difficult to forget. 
To learn more about John Godson, please visit our website, mypodcast.com. Smacznego. We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Classic Polish Recipes and Classic Polish Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. Today, we want to talk about Polish hamburgers. Or in Polish, szekane kotlety. When we were writing an article about this dish, we knew the Polish name, szekane kotlety. But calling them Polish hamburgers in English was not a very good translation. Google Translate wasn't very helpful, and neither was Peter's search of Polish websites, because they're not cutlets, as we think of pork or lamb cutlets. They aren't traditional burgers, they aren't baby meatloaves, and they aren't Caribbean meat patties. So we decided to just not worry about it, because everyone who grew up with classic Polish cuisine is probably familiar with these traditional kotleti shakane. The texture and flavor of these patties are vaguely reminiscent of a Polish meatloaf, only more dense. What makes them truly Polish is that they're rolled in breadcrumbs and browned before baking. Our recipe, which we're sharing today, is a classic version that was handed down over several generations. But you can easily make it your own by adding into the meat, mix some chopped fresh mushrooms and dill. Of course dill. Or another herb. But please be cautious with the herbs, since too much or more than one could be overwhelming. After all, the meat is the star of this dish. Try these for tomorrow's dinner. You'll need chopped onion, bacon drippings, dry white bread, milk, an egg, one and a half pounds of meatloaf mix, or just ground pork and ground beef, and some breadcrumbs. Soak the bread in the milk, then tear the wet bread into very small pieces. Saute the chopped onion in the baking drippings until golden. And by the way, we always keep a jar of clean bacon drippings in our fridge just for these kinds of uses. Combine everything in a big bowl, Season it up and form the mixture into six thick, round patties about three inches across and one inch thick. Roll them in the breadcrumbs, brown them in a hot skillet, and place the patties in a casserole dish. Bake uncovered at 350 degrees Fahrenheit for 20 minutes. If you're eating less beef these days, you could also make them with ground chicken or turkey. Garnish with a sprig of dill and serve with your favorite vegetables, sliced tomato, beet salad, or any other seasonal side dish. You can also freeze any leftovers and serve them later for a quick and delicious cold lunch, sliced in half on a very fresh, crisp hard roll with some sliced tomato and a little mayo, and of course, a crunchy Polish dill pickle on the side. Now that's a great lunch. The full recipe for this dish and information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the post dated October 29, 2015. Smacznego!
not common to hear a history of a country in 10 minutes and told in such an interesting way. I experienced it while attending a lecture by the political director of Poland's foreign ministry, Witold Sopkow, at the Royal Canadian Military Institute in Toronto. The speaker of the evening was introduced by Dr. Walter Perhal from York University. We think that a slightly shortened version of this introduction will be a fascinating summary of Poland's history for our podcast listeners. Poland. Very strange place. (laughs) I've often thought of it as the undiscovered country. Undiscovered because for some it is a point of perpetual interest and for most it is a point of complete indifference. Poland is the continuing story of both the burdens and blessings of location, location, location. Yes, Poland has been caught by its location. At times it has done extraordinary things with location when it stretched from the Baltic Sea to Odessa. And at times it has disappeared entirely. Um, It is a child of its neighbors, often difficult, often extraordinarily difficult. To this day, very difficult if you were to ask Polish foreign affairs. It is a child of a challenging history. It is the second oldest democratic constitution in the world behind the American Constitution, and it is that very constitution that led to its own dismemberment. It is a country of cultural significance in terms of a difficult past, a past that really has an extraordinary history in and of itself. The Inquisition that strange event perpetrated by the Catholic Church, which drove the Jews out of Western Europe, had many of them found themselves in the one country of Europe that accepted them in their day. Casimir the Great of Poland said that the Jews can not only come to Poland, but they could practice their faith in Poland. Up until 1939, the single largest Jewish community in the world happens to reside in Poland. And yet that too was a difficult relationship. Romanticism. The Poles, if they are to be defined, are to be defined as perpetual and eternal romantics. For those of you that are history buffs, you have seen the iconic pictures of Polish cavalry charging German tanks. (laughs) That is not stupidity, that is gesture. It's a statement about, if this is all we have, this is what we will fight with, because we should because we're here to make a statement. And there's also a Polish belief in destiny. And destiny is we're not finished yet. There's much to write. What is Poland today? It is an emerging regional power, if you are to believe Friedman, who writes on these things. And it is an extraordinary series of empirical evidence that gives that definition. It is the only country in the European Union that has never gone through recession. And I assume some of you may be surprised by that, but never has gone into recession. It is one of the very few members of the NATO alliance that actually pays 2% of its bills. In fact, it pays, according to last year's budget figures, if I'm not mistaken, 2.1% of GDP. It is a country of contradictions and a country of possibilities. For Canada, it is unique because it is a 
a country with whom we have an extraordinary relationship. The first part of that relationship is established by emigration, that is Polish emigration. One of the oldest settlement communities in Canada happens to be Polish expats, who migrated from Poland in the 19th century to some rather rocky and inhospitable land in the Ottawa Valley and beyond. It is a shared history that goes to a place in Niagara-on-the-Lake where you will find a cemetery that was the home of a Canadian training facility that was providing soldiers to a thing called the Blue Army, which was the basic infrastructure for an independent Poland in 1918. And that happened in this country, much to the amazement of many. And that was a bunch of emigres, and not just, from both Canada and the United States that chose to join that organization, many of whom tragically perished because of something far grander than nations, and that was the pandemic flu of the time. World War II. Polish Second Corps was part of the British Eighth Army. Polish Second Corps was the remnants of those who made it through the absolute tragedy of the Siberian experience, where a million Poles went in, or two million Poles, depending on which historian you reference, and somewhere between 100 and 200,000 came out. And the ones that had the benefit of getting out were the ones that were prepared to join the British Eighth Army. They mobilized in Palestine, fought in North Africa, and then the Polish Second Corps fought in the Italian campaign next to their brothers in arms, the Canadians. And in fact, if you look at the battles of the two armies, you'll find out that they were neighbors for most of that campaign, culminating for the Poles in the Battle of Monte Cassino, which is something that the Canadian Army had assaulted as well, along with British and American allies, New Zealanders, Indians. The Polish First Armored Division, many of whom's veterans resided in Canada after the war because they could not return to Poland, the Polish First Armored Division was part of the Canadian First Army, and the Polish First Armored Division was the cork in the bottle at fillets, something that is an absolutely integral part of Canadian military history. And there's lots of thoughts about that too, some very conflicting, but at the end of the day, there was a slaughter on several hills, and there were the Polish romantics at the heart of the slaughter. Post-war. From a Polish perspective, betrayal. This is Tehran in Yalta, where Poland is handed over by their brother allies to the gentle condition of Stalin and his minions. Thereafter, a long struggle for independence. This is a Western nation caught in the East under communism. This is an ugly struggle. This is an ugly period. This is Pole killing Pole in the name of an ideology that was totally alien in the name of a guy named Joe Stalin and then his successors, who were all troubled by the fact, as Stalin once observed, that you could no more make a Pole a communist than you could make a cow a racehorse. And largely that proved to be true, and part of that was another extraordinary thing about the Poles, and that was religion, and religion at its core. The interregnum was fought by Polish cardinals and Polish priests, who were the alternate state an alternate strength that struggled and gave infrastructure to uh, the emergence of another entity, an extraordinary thing that many of you in this room remember, a thing called Solidarity. And Solidarity was that movement 
that started a spark that created a fire that burned down the communist edifice of the entire communist structure. Everything fell. In fact, at the 20th anniversary of that experiment in Gdańsk, I watched uh, a ceremony wherein they put a series of blocks, one behind the other, and the first block was the Polish block, and then you had all the other country blocks, and they all fell one after another, up to and including, of course, the former non-lamented Soviet Union. A Polish Pope. This was an interesting historic note for not just Poles, but obviously for the world, the first non-Italian in a very long time, and a fellow that not only changed religious history, but when that history is written, I assume it will be after lots of official secrets come off certain documents that are going to be held for some time yet, will be identified not only again as a religious figure, but as a political figure. A political figure that spent a great deal of time not only disrupting communism in Poland, but very aggressively pursuing communism in the Soviet Union itself. This is the history of the hidden church and the impact of the hidden church, not just Roman Catholic, but Orthodox and Russian Orthodox, upon what happens next in what now we refer to as the Soviet or Russia. A new sovereign and ambitious country with whom Canada is allied. I had the privilege for a number of years of serving as a Canadian officer, military advisor to Polish forces. That proved to be a quite extraordinary experience. I learned some great lessons there, the first of which is never drink vodka with Poles. <laughs> we have shared political interests with the Poles. One of the largest of these is another country that is terribly difficult for us all, Ukraine. Canada and Poland share an interest in supporting a free and independent Ukraine, which puts us obviously rather on the other side of Mr. Putin and his current intentions. We have shared political interests in a number of spheres. We've been doing this for a long time as allies. We have shared defense interests. We have also developed extraordinary and growing economic relations on a bilateral basis. And I would submit for the historians in the group that much of this was built on shared military and political interests. That facilitated the economic and bilateral trade that has developed rather enormously. Um, many of you in this room may or may not know that one of the largest FDIs that Canada has received, foreign direct investment it, Canada has received, is into a company called Quadra. That was a $4 billion investment by a Polish copper company. And that is in Ontario, the headquarters of which are now located in British Columbia. But that's a Polish investment into Canada. Canadian investment has been moving to Poland at an ambitious rate and has been growing on an annual basis. Poland is a soft landing spot for Canadians who want to access both the European Union and, frankly, opportunities east of the European Union. And the reason for that is most of our European friends, despite CETA, don't particularly like us because they see us as competition. And so again, there's an opportunity here that some people have realized. Likewise, Canada represents for Poland an opportunity not only into North America and into the hemisphere, but also remarkably 
you may be interested in knowing into Asia itself, because as we all know, living in the greater Toronto area, this is a hub of Asian business. So it is a series of ties that have grown, a series of opportunities that presents itself, and a series of challenges, certainly for both Canadians as allies to the Poles, but particularly Poles themselves, because of that thing, again, called location. Poland is a vexatious country, ask the Germans and the French. But Poland is also not an unimportant country, quite the contrary. On a daily basis, it grows again as a regional power. Poland may be difficult, but it is never uninteresting. In the past episodes of our podcast, we have covered a large number of stories and presented to you many amazing people. And it is our great pleasure to be able to update you on some of our interlocutors' new achievements, as well as some new developments in the stories we have featured. Bartek Soroczyński, if you remember, is a Polish-born actor raised in Montreal in a circus family, whom we featured in episode 10. He has acted in five languages and theaters in many countries, including the Royal Shakespeare Company. Now, Bartek is playing one of the leading roles in a theatrical adaptation of a masterpiece of modern cinema, Federico Fellini's 1957 Oscar-winning film La Strada, which means The Road. The highly successful play, which gets rave reviews, now plays in London at The Other Palace. In one of the reviews, the author says, Bart Soroczyński is the true showman in this group of storytellers, able to captivate the audience with a magic trick and the next minute sit on the edge of their seats with the, his unicycle skills. His portrayal of the fool was down to earth and gave the piece a joviality it needed. Ron Davis, a renowned Canadian jazz musician from Toronto and our guest in second and third episodes, releases his 11th record, his very first solo album, Rich Maron. It features new and innovative arrangements of jazz standards and original tunes by Ron. And soon after, on July 3rd, Ron Davis returns to perform in Edinburgh with his Symphronica. Ola Turkiewicz, Polish-Canadian composer, singer, songwriter, arranger, our guest in episode 7 and 21, and most of all, the author of all our jingles, is taking to the stage again. Her fourth annual project Arboretum concert will take place on July 23rd in the beautiful Mazurian city of Mrongovo. This year's edition of Project Arboretum is dedicated to the cultural heritage of a beautiful area of Poland, Varmia and Mazuri regions. <laughs> You've been listening to the 44th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For a lot of additional information, multimedia and links, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. And while you're there, please leave your comments and share with us your thoughts, reactions and ideas. If you know of any interesting person or story that we should cover on Polcast, please let us know. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. Thank you for listening to Polcast.
And we leave you with Budkas of Lera, one of Polish rock supergroups and their first hit. The melody may sound familiar to some of you, that's why we are starting with the original by Bill Waiters. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone She's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Znowu w życiu mi nie wyszło Uciec pragnę w wielki sen Na dno tamtej mej doliny Gdzie sprzed dni doganiam dzień W tamten czas lub w jego cień Znowu obłok ten różowy Pod nim dom i tamta sień Wszystko w białej tej dolinie Gdzie sprzed dni doganiam dzień Jeszcze głębiej zapaść w sen Późno, 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 późno Późno jest, sam wiem, że zbyt późno jest, by zaczynać wszystko znów. Yeah. 